0: Today I am talking to an amazing occupational therapist who is also a fibromyalgia patient. Her name is Dr. Bronnie Lennox Thompson. She has incredible insights for anyone living with chronic pain, whether it's from arthritis or uh, any other cause, and. I can't wait to share her journey with you and for you to learn from all the insights she's had. Let's get started. Hi, my name is Cheryl Crow, and I am passionate about helping people navigate real life with arthritis. I've lived with rheumatoid arthritis for 17 years, and I'm also a mom, teacher, and occupational therapist. I'm so excited to share my tricks for managing the ups and downs of life with arthritis. Everything from kitchen life hacks to how to respond when people say you don't look sick, stress, work, sex, anxiety, fatigue, pregnancy, and parenting with chronic illness. No topic will be off limits here. I'll also talk to other patients and share their stories and advice. Think of this as your chance to sit down and chat with a friend who's been there. Ready to figure out how to manage your arthritis life? Let's get started. So Dr. Brani, will you please introduce yourself? Tell the audience a little bit about yourself.
1: So as soon as I open my mouth, you will know that I am not from the United States. Oh,
0: yes.
1: (laughs) I'm from Christchurch, New Zealand. Um, And yeah, very, very fortunate to be living in New Zealand in these times because I think we've got down to single digit. Well, we've had days without anybody with COVID-19. So we're feeling really fortunate. Um, Grateful that we're a little tiny island in the bottom of the world. Nobody knows where we are. (laughs) Um, Yeah, so I am an occupational therapist and um, I have a psychology degree and I've worked in pain and pain management most of my career. Um, I started off by looking at people returning to work and it just so happened that most of the people that I was working with, pain was the main problem. Right. Um, and so I got fascinated by pain and it's kind of taken over. Really.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, um, you know, just in case anyone watching this doesn't already know what occupational therapy is, do you have like an elevator speech that you like to use or <laughs> how do you, since you work with a chronic pain population, how do you normally introduce maybe and describe occupational therapy?
1: Occupational therapy is about helping people do what's important in their lives. It's the doing. So we're interested in practical, everyday little things that make up being a human being. Um, So we are about um, routines and habits and getting dressed and doing the grocery shopping and going to work. All the basics. That's what occupational therapists about. I think that's because we believe that. In doing, we're expressing who we are. And by expressing who we are and how we do, we we continue growing.
0: Wow. That was really good. And it actually sounds better with the New Zealand accent too. (laughs) I'm like, oh, it sounds. so. That's beautiful. I love that definition. Um, And is there uh, a particular reason you went into the field of occupational therapy out of curiosity?
1: (laughs) You're going to laugh.
0: Okay. So when I was um, in my seventh
1: form, which is our final year of, of high school, mm-hmm. I applied for um, physiotherapy, for occupational therapy, and for a social science degree, mm-hmm. um, and I got into all three of them, but the OT oh, one came in first. Hmm. So I didn't think I was going to get into anything, so I immediately accepted it, and <laughs> And went, and and then I got on the other two. But I was actually really grateful that I chose occupational therapy, not because nobody knows what we do, because nobody can describe occupational therapy, in, you know,
0: yeah, briefly,
1: yeah. succinctly. Um, but because I think as a physio, I'd have been one of these militant, "You will do it this way and that," and I'd be I'd be horrible. Um, whereas I think what I really love about my profession now, and I've had moments mm-hmm. of not liking my profession at all, um, is that our versatility, our passion for meeting people where they're at and moving at their pace. That's our job. And it's right. not so much about the, the end result as partly our partnering in the process mm. of how people work out what works for them.
0: I love that. Yeah. That's something I love about occupational therapy as well. And I, and to, different, I mean, to differentiate it from PT, sometimes I'll say that, you know, the treatment plan from the skin in, like the muscles in, for the same injury might look the same for physical therapy, but for OT, it's what that muscle is doing in the person's world, you know, what are you, yeah. it's going to look different, you know, if five different people break their elbow and have to rehabilitate, if one's a taxi driver and one's a chef and one's a teacher and one's yes. a computer programmer, we're going to do something totally different. with each one which makes it really creative you know
1: yeah yeah. Um, and we've got to be really flexible because we're getting involved in people's lives and they're the expert on living their life it's Mm. not my job to step in and say you've got to do it this way that doesn't work so it's all about how can I help you express who you are in the way that you do stuff that's so Uh, great such a good word for everything.
0: <laughs> I know. I love it. No, it's so practical. I mean, honestly, it's better than I even thought it would be when I went into the field you know, of, of occupational therapy. So it's been, um, that's been fun for me to kind of discover. Um, yeah. And how did you find your way into the pain world? I'm curious, because it's not usually people's number one, you know, they don't go into OT. Usually they want to work either with like cute little kids or people with strokes or, you know, classic. Yeah. Areas.
1: But yeah, I started. Um, I worked in older persons' health, and mm-hmm. I really, I loved doing that. And I loved group work in particular mm-hmm. because it, um, that was a really important part of, you know, older people relating to one another, learning yeah. from one another about what might work for them, um, and also the process of of occupation, doing things together, is such a human thing. Mm-hmm. Um, I got into pain because I was working in work rehabilitation. And most of the people that I worked with, persistent pain was the main problem. Mm, Um, That was a a barrier to getting back into work of any kind. And so I started to explore what, what it is about pain that gets in the way. Um, And so I got fascinated by pain as a, as a whole area and it's kind of become the thing that I'm most interested in. And, and it continues to absolutely fascinate me. It's, It's intellectually challenging. There's so many developments, so much to learn, and it's about Mm -hmm. the whole person. You can't treat pain. You're treating the person who's living with the pain and helping them develop a life that allows pain to be present without necessarily trying to get rid of it or just, you know, starts to be who you are.
0: Yeah, Yeah, and it's such a counterintuitive um, at first proposal to say, wait a minute, no, I'm going to go to the health professional because they're, they're going to fix me and make my problem go away. Like, it's like you have a sore tooth, you go to the dentist, you know, they make it better. But with pain, um, I'm wondering how to form this into a question, (laughs) but, um, like, um, I can hear it. I have an approach that I love as, as well that you know way more about than I do, which is ACT or Acceptance mm-hmm. and Commitment Therapy. I can hear that in your description of pain. Um, so how did you get introduced to ACT as a therapeutic model? That's, a,
1: that's really interesting. So i worked for some years in a multidisciplinary interprofessional program. Okay. So I worked with physiotherapists, psychologists, medical practitioners, nurses, social workers, mm-hmm. and other occupational therapists. And so I was really
0: trained in CBT. Mm-hmm. Which okay. Is Can you, uh, what does describe CBT as cognitive behavior therapy? Yeah. 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 Cognitive behavioral therapy. We
1: we look at people's thoughts and beliefs about what's going on, and help them rethink through check out the um, the validity, the accuracy of those statements, mm-hmm. and then we try to help people develop a more helpful way of viewing what's going on. Um, and it's, a, it's related to behaviour as well. So we do lots of goal setting and planning and prioritising and that sort of thing. And mm-hmm. then I started to read some more around um, acceptance and commitment therapy from um, Lance McCracken and Kevin Vales, both oh, yeah. really prominent researchers. Mm-hmm. And I started to see that, well, from my own experience, I have depression and I also live with fibromyalgia. Didn't realize it fibro until quite a few years after I'd been living with it because I just thought it was grumbly old back pain and mm-hmm. having to affect every other part of my body. Um, right. But I didn't that, you know, my thoughts about my pain were actually quite accurate. Um, yes, mm. if I do this, I'm going to hurt. That's not, um, that's not an inaccurate or maladaptive thing. That's right. a reality for me. If I do something that's out of the ordinary, I'm going to hurt and I might need to change how I go about my next step. And here was CBT telling me that that was bad thinking, unhelpful thinking, wrong thinking. But it's my life. So I learned with ACT that what I want to work out is is this helping me to be and do the things that matter for me? Mm -hmm. And so I realized that Actually, it isn't helping me. Mm-hmm. I could look at things differently. I could view my pain as different. And I guess like by that stage, what is about probably 10 or more years ago, mm-hmm. that I learned, it'd be well more than that actually when I'm thinking about <laughs> it. 1990. Time is weird up. when you start, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I started to realize that I had been learning how to live alongside my pain as part of who I am for quite some time and seeing that despite that I was doing pretty much the things that mattered to me and it was okay for my pain to fluctuate if Mm -hmm. it was worth it so some of the things I really love to do I like to garden I like to walk my dog I like to go carry a heavy camera and take photography out in somewhere in the wilds of New Zealand and these things flare my pain up and I mm-hmm. could sit
0: at home
1: and not do them right? and feel bad and grumpy and not live. And, or I could decide I can do these things and yes, I'll get a, a flare up, but it's worth it. Mm-hmm. So for me, it was a lived experience of there are times when I do things that I know are going to flare, flare me up, but it's worth it because I did this wonderful thing. Right. And I sort of realized that trying to control pain is impossible Mm -hmm. my pain will do exactly what it wants to do I can control my life and I can change the way I do a lot of things but sometimes I'll be compromising um things that really matter to me like being spontaneous Mm -hmm. I'm not I'm not a great planner um (laughs) I like to do things with a bit of spontaneity and what I was What I've learned is that if I live my life according to what my pain tells me to do and trying to control my pain, I'd end up having this very, it'd be like living by numbers. Mm. You know, by numbers, pictures. Yeah, yeah. By numbers, pictures. And they almost look like a real painting, but they don't. They look artificial. And that was what my life would have been like, have I, if I, you know, do all this Planning and all of this stuff to control my pain. It would be a life, but it wouldn't be my life. It wouldn't be the way that I want to be. So I thought, let's make it much more me, and I can make the decision in the moment as to what I want to prioritize right now. So sometimes, and over this last couple of months, while we've been dealing with COVID, I have been feeling really sore, and so I've allowed myself to not do. On a, on a particular day because right. I really need to. Not so much for pain, but because the, the effort of thinking and planning and organising can feel overwhelming. And right. so sometimes it's quite nice just to go with it. Other times I can push myself to do something that matters to me, like play in my garden or I've been raking up wet leaves because it's um, autumn here. And mm-hmm. doing doing things like that that make that are important to me, and right. I can just with it, and I can choose in the moment. It's so much more vibrant and permissive, and not. Um, I don't have these hard and fast rules.
0: Mm-hmm. You can mm-hmm.
1: ever do this? You. Will, I don't want to live like that.
0: Well, <laughs> and a, to me, and from <laughs> my, in my experience too, you know, having a painful condition, also is that it can be a fool's errand sometimes anyway. So then you sacrifice and you still feel the pain. Exactly. (laughs) Or you're like, I remember thinking, I did everything right and I still felt this. And that's because I was, for me, operating under the assumption that if you cross off the T's and dot the I's and do everything perfect, you can avoid pain. But it's like, you can run, but you can't hide. (laughs) Exactly. Uh, I'm with you there. Yeah.
1: even even on a day when I'm feeling pretty good, I'm still sore And if I just let that rule me, I'm going to live this really little life. And I'll still be sore. So I might as well be sore and do things that matter to me. And all the benefits of doing things that matter.
0: Right. Things I'm
1: passionate about,
0: things that I love. And it's just so congruent with the whole mission of occupational therapy to help people engage in meaningful daily activities. But I think it's, even for me as an occupational therapist and somebody who had lived in pain for a long time, when my own therapist introduced ACT, I was like, what? How is that not settling? Like, hold on. Because it's like we go into the field because we want to help people feel better Right, you have an owie and it built you do something and it feels better, but understanding the nature of like a chronic condition yes. that there is no magic wand to make it get better.
1: There is not, and mm. even so, so, my partner lives with ankylosing yes. spondylitis. Yes, we've been together for we're trying to work it out nearly 20 years. <laughs> wow, congrats! Thank you. We can't quite remember because it's time. <laughs> Isn't that funny? Um, yeah. So he has um, had angst for probably, uh, he would have had it for about 30 odd years now. He was quite, you know, in his late 20s when okay. they identified that that was what was wrong.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, he had back pain and, you know, most people with an inflammatory kind of problem we'll wait quite a while before you actually get a label for it. Yes. And he just thought it was, you know, back pain and let's not do stuff and maybe he'll have to have surgery. Well, eventually someone decided that we'll do some, you know, bloods and we'll find out. Oh, my goodness, you've got all this inflammation going on. So wow. he, um, he was really interesting because he's not, he's a bloke. He's an absolute bloke and he doesn't like to give up and so he would just grit his teeth and carry on with mm-hmm. it um and which was all very well until it got to the point where it, he wasn't able to right. so for him it um the inflammation's mainly in his intercostal muscles so all around his chest oh so yeah like breathing taking a good breath that's in. so hard yeah oh. yeah coughing um oh being able to reach up, twist, all those sorts of things. And this, Bo is a a guy who likes to climb hills. He likes, and he was a high country firefighter. So that's his, uh, in one of his voluntary jobs. So he would go and want to be climbing up these hills. And when it got really bad, he Mm -hmm. couldn't, they do pack tests. So he has a, you know, 25 kg pack. And okay, they have to yeah. do their speed tests and, and that's really yeah. hard. Yes. Because if you work hard your chest starts to you have to start to breathe more deeply. So right. he was really struggling. Um in fact we got to the point where we had to at night he couldn't roll over by himself oh. at his worst. Yeah. And so we used we used real O T stuff. We put a slippery sheet underneath him.
0: Right, <laughs> so right, right. Okay. Oh, that's great.
1: <laughs> right. Nice. Which helped. So he's very lucky because he was started on what was then a, a, an experimental drug of Chimera mm. or Adelimab, yeah. and he got an amazing result. So yeah. he doesn't have pain anymore, and I'm so pissed off. Oh, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
0: no, it's I'm not a competition just... until it is, no. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so he doesn't
1: have any pain.
0: Wow. And not
1: very many people get that kind of response from the drugs in fact I've met lots of people who with inflammatory forms of arthritis that have tried a, a biological and it hasn't done the trick it's been yeah. we'll add that and we'll add some other stuff and we'll add some that's true because I. T- got side effects
0: for my first five years, I was in complete medicated remission, but I was on Enbrel and methotrexate. So, you know, it's still amazing to experience remission, but it would be obviously, you know, it it would be great not to have the side effects. But he's been on Humira for how many years now? And it's still working? About 10 the, years. Wow. That's really yeah. long for a biologic for it to keep working. That's awesome. Fingers crossed.
1: Absolutely no problems. At all. Wow. Wow. Um, he knows when his two weeks is. is yeah. Up. Towards yeah. the end of that two weeks, he's getting the, oh yeah, my neck's feeling a bit sore, and he does the old, you know, yeah, yeah. Like, that's because it affects his neck. Oh, yeah. So he can't turn his neck comfortably. Right, um, right. But it's really completely reversed that inflammatory process, and it's amazing. So he's mm-hmm. he's been very lucky, but when it bothers him and he's had a couple of flare-ups where he's mm-hmm. had to try other other drugs yeah. what kept Bo going has been that um he still exercises he still moves he still yeah. does stuff right as part of who it's you know, part of living a life alongside his pain
0: right, right. That
1: if you stop your pain just does not go away but right. the pain makes it a bit harder to get on and do the things that you know help. Right. it kind of knocks your motivation. I know that so well.
0: <laughs> I know. Yes, absolutely. And, you know, so for those who don't know, and I'll put this in the show notes, but, um, you know, ankylosing spondylitis is, a, is similar to rheumatoid arthritis. In the, um, it's in the umbrella of inflammatory Causes of arthritis, yeah. aka joint pain, um, and yeah. similar to you know, um, psoriatic arthritis is in that category. They're actually now renaming. Also, there's um, uh oh, axial spondylitis, yes. which it used to all be the same category mm-hmm. but now that's separate from ankylosing anyway so yeah there's a lot of these different kinds of inflammatory meaning like the immune system is involved so in med, um, yeah. but to take yeah. a step back really quick to your story um just for those because i think fibromyalgia is something that not a lot of people um or maybe not everyone knows about or they think they know but they don't so yeah. how do you describe yeah. how would you describe fibromyalgia to like the general audience of people um why <laughs>
1: pain Widespread pain yeah. without any inflammation. So you can test me, um, give, do my blood tests, and I don't have any increased inflammation. Mm. You can test my reflexes, they're normal. You can give me nerve conduction tests, and it's normal. You can scan me, and it, I'm normal. Yes, I've got a bit of osteoarthritis, <laughs> but that's not the same as right, right. Disorder. Um, it's thought to be a change in the way the nervous system processes normal mm-hmm. information and nobody is very certain about how or why it affects people. Yeah. It's got a number of other um, symptoms some of which I have from time to time and some that you know, yeah, bother us all. Yeah. Um, most of us have really rotten sleep because oh. we don't go into the deepest sleep as easily as other people and that was one of the earliest signs Hmm. that people found that said that fibromyalgia is not the same as um osteoarthritis it's different Mm. so we have widespread body pain we can um it's usually in all four quarters of the body so if you divide your body into four bits you'll have some sort of both shoulders and you know both upper limbs both lower limbs back pain neck pain you can also right. have things like um, irritable bowel that can be secondary, right. other problem. You're probably prone to um, having headaches, particularly mm. migraines. Um, I twitch all night, so oh, I Wow, yeah.
0: sorry, I didn't mean to be like, huh? <laughs> My face yeah, I know
1: weird. it's weird.
0: Yeah, um, no, I just didn't th- think that would go along with it all, but yeah,
1: it's another one. Um body
0: is fun. the
1: foggy cognition so you can find it harder to focus to concentrate to think straight um, and to remember stuff so lots of people find that quite they call it fibro fog where you just like a bit slowed a bit um like you have a hangover without the delight of actually yeah yeah
0: that part. <laughs> I yeah, I it's what's funny is I've never been a drinker but then I was put immediately on methotrexate so then I was like, okay, well, I guess I have an excuse not to drink but but I I I've I know what you're talking about that brain fog kind of yeah. 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 And,
1: and the fatigue yeah. that goes with That was going to be.
0: Yeah. I was going to ask about the fatigue if it's the same like with the in, other inflammatory oh, very, yeah.
1: very much. So, I'm a bit of a nana. I I'll go to bed early. I have yeah. this sort of shocking sleep and then I wake up um, by shocking sleep. I mean, I take a while to fall asleep. Mm-hmm. Um, I will wake up a couple of times in the night. Um, I've got much better at it. Um, yeah, yeah. is a real problem. Right. And right. I wake up quite slowly. And I need and love, relish, my full eight and a half hours of sleep. It's <laughs>
0: I literally thought about making a course, maybe we should do this together, called Sleep Divas. Like, I am the ultimate princess. <laughs> I am. I mean, my husband hasn't called me a sleep diva, but he could. And I would say, yes, I am. Yeah, yeah I'm I've very... I've got to have
1: perfect. my bed the right way. I've got to have yeah. my pillow. I regularly beat my pillow up so that it yeah. fits just nicely around my perfect. Neck.
0: Yeah, yeah. right yeah. temperature. Right, yeah, right.
1: So, so those are probably the key um, hallmarks I think is the most yeah. important is the widespread body pain, the, the fibro fog and the, and the sort of fatigue are probably the, the most important things. But it can be, um, so my cup of coffee that I'm very yes. slowly drinking, Yes. And I'm very sensitive to the temperature. So it mm. feels peppered to other people. It's lukewarm, but to me it feels hot. Mm. So things like, um, because my nervous system processes,
0: um, so
1: yeah, so every sensory piece of information, whether it's light or sound or touch, tends to be interpreted more quickly by Mm -hmm. my nervous system. And I didn't realise this until I realised that I was turning, so in, in running the bath, we have um, a hot tap and a cold tap and the hot tap gets really hot and I, I've always, all my life put a, a face cloth over the tap to turn it off when it's been running for a while oh, Okay. Too hot. Huh. and I didn't realise that was weird Yeah. Um, and then um, getting things out of the oven um, or holding on to my coffee cup I just have to be I have to be mindful that although my mind is telling me this is really, really hot, let go don't let go. Don't yeah. let go because it well, fall. It feels really hot. Um, Noisy environments are hard to, to deal with and light. So if I go into a really busy mall, shopping mall, I can just oh. feel over-intended yeah. really quickly.
0: I have that with light as well. I had it then when I got a concussion in 2016, oh, yeah. it made it worse. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's rough. Um, but yeah, I... I uh, I was aware of some of that with fibro, but not um, the sense the sensory across the board. That's mm. really really interesting. That's kind of a hypersensitivity. I wonder if anyone in OT is studying that further, like from the sensory world. Probably I someone. I believe
1: so. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So I've looked at the um, adult adolescent sensory profile. Oh yeah. No, and and I know my tendency, which is that. I would like to shelter myself from too much stimulation.
0: Right, right.
1: I probably, what I do is I just titrate, just add in how much I can deal with. And I know how now to say, I've reached my limit stock. Right. Right. Um, But it takes a long time to feel okay about that because, Humans have this need to belong and to be like everybody else and right. not different. And I didn't want to be different. Mm. I didn't realise that some of the experiences that I had were not what everybody else experienced. Right. I just didn't know that right. other people didn't get bothered by noise as much as I do. Right. Um, and as my fibro has kind of evolved, um, I used to. I grew up in a family that loves curry. So my parents were missionaries in India when I was little.
0: Oh wow! So
1: we used to live. We used to have curries really regularly, and I used to really love them. Yeah, I can't cope with the chili
0: as much,
1: so I've had to not not have it as quite as spicy as I used to.
0: Just right, right.
1: Your
0: system has just really calibrated in a sensitive manner. Yeah, Yeah, yeah. Well, so I like, I'm a, I'm a princess.
1: I like, yeah. that's right. Or, or what is it? Um, the baby beer, not the baby beer, the mother beer. Mother beer oh yeah. I yeah. Want.
0: Yeah. Too hot, too cold. I know. Yeah. I don't know what this says about me, but I like my coffee to taste hot. So I keep reheating it all morning, like over <laughs> and over and over. I like it to be hot. <laughs> but, yeah. um, you know, something that I'm thinking about as you're talking is, um, in, in general, you know, you have a lot of experience with pain from the patient perspective, obviously, or the patient, meaning like you live with pain, um, whether or not you're seeing a provider in any given moment, and the provider perspective. Um, what are some misconceptions about pain that you would like to take time right now to, giving you a platform to tell us, or maybe, how, I mean, anything you want to say about pain, I, mean, you could, I know you could talk all day long about pain, but yeah, what are some of the <laughs> things that maybe you often see people miss? Uh, yeah, not understanding about pain. pain. <laughs> I think
1: there's a misperception that if you understand the mechanisms of your pain and you have it explained to you, that magically your pain will go. It doesn't That's work. I know a so lot true. about pain. I still have pain. And there's this sense that um, if you know the mechanisms and it doesn't go, then obviously you really want it.
0: Oh yeah, I don't like that who one. really yeah. want
1: pain, seriously. Yeah. It's like I, although I use Acceptance and Commitment Therapy Act, I don't talk about acceptance because that feels like, oh my God, I've just got to put up with this.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: To a certain extent, I do right. because I don't have a choice, but because I don't have any, so no medications are effective for me. I've tried everything. Nothing changes my <sighs> pain at all. I'm so I'm kind of, Well, it's it's okay actually. It means I don't have to have side effects.
0: That is true. Yeah,
1: every drug has got its side effects. Yeah, but it does mean that, um, you know, I want to put more into my life so that it's worth living. Otherwise, I'm just going to be boxed in by this thing. And there's this really, for some health professionals, the feeling that they can't offer you something feels Mm. difficult. It's really hard for them because if we think about so I teach fifth year medical students. They've got um Wow. They're in their last year of full time lecturing and Mm -hmm. stuff, starting to enter clinical clinical world. So that in another two years they'll be graduated Mm -hmm. and they'll be starting, you know, working in hospitals and things and getting their skills. And they have learned throughout their training that they've got to be right. They've got to have the answer. And, they've got to, and it's got to be the right one. Mm-hmm. And frankly, there isn't one for living with pain. There are a whole bunch of different answers that will suit different people at different times. So I call it finding wiggle room. Mm.
0: So
1: I have a, um, I'm trying to see if I've got a Chinese finger trap somewhere around.
0: Oh, yeah. <laughs> Probably
1: not. But so I have these finger traps and I say, let's put your fingers in the finger trap and try and pull out of it, and we can't do it. So that's what most of us want to do when we're sore. We want to get out, break free. I
0: want to break free. Don't get get me singing. (laughs) It's okay. I'm always (laughs) singing. You can ask my husband. Yes. Um, So what
1: works to get out of a finger trap is a whole bunch of little wiggles, Mm. little movements, and everybody does it in a different way.
0: And what works for me
1: today might not work for you, but I'll find a combination that helps me. And I might not actually get out of my pain, but I might find ways to live despite the fact that I've got this happening, which is what I think I've done.
0: Right, right. And another thing that that reminds me of is, at least the way I remember it is, when you pull away, it it doesn't work. But when you push in, it does work. It does start loosening. So it is almost that, leaning into, not leaning into the pain like, oh, I'm going to feel more pain because I need to be like hardcore, but, but being willing to experience, yeah, like being, I think for me, it took a long time in, in my therapy process of really realizing how my, even though I consider myself somebody who lives a very full life, you know, despite my condition, I really had conditioned myself to orient away from pain constantly. Every it seemed like so many little tiny decisions every day. I don't want to do that because of this. I don't want to, and not just yeah. physical pain, psychological. Oh, that I'll be I'll, I'll be too anxious if I do that, or I'll. You just don't realize. And I think what Russ Harris has done so beautifully with the happiness trap. Anyway, this is just me, to, you know, rambling. But um, is that he's described how the paradox that the more you try to seek happiness and positive feelings, yeah. the more f- you're set up for failure, you know, and yeah. just to yeah. accept. It's actually alleviated a burden for me to, to accept. Mm-hmm. I know the, the word acceptance is tricky, but to be willing to, to accept the concept that my life will include pain and it will include yeah. n- negative emotions or bad emotions like anger and frustrations. They're not failures on my part. They're just part of life. You know, they're just waves yeah have
1: those things, then I'm not able to appreciate the other things. So, yes, I Ooh, have pain, yeah. but when I move with freedom, I can feel really free, like this is my body. And, yes, I know where all my body parts are, even though they're sore. Actually, that shows that I know where my body is. Lots of people mm. don't even notice where their body is, how their body's moving or sitting or whatever. And I have that ability to. Right. But I also think um, with pain, one of the things that people want to, to do is to give you like this recipe, and yes. exercise is the thing. In yeah. fact, it's not unknown for people attending a pain management program to all be given, now go to the gym. Go to the gym and do your exercise. Magic Even wand. If this yeah. person has never exercised in their life and doesn't yeah. like the gym. Pick me. I do not like the gym. It is full of sweaty, hairy, lycra-clad men and mirrors and loud music. And I hate it.
0: For a I- sensory hypersensitive person, that is like a nightmare. Yeah. 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 So
1: what do I do? And what do I do with people that I work with? Let's find out what you love to do. And let's find some movement opportunities Mm-hmm. See? Not exercise, but movement opportunities really? that you can build in to your everyday life. Mm-hmm. Like, I go walk my dog, I, doing my housework, which I'm not a good housekeeper at all, um, but doing that is an opportunity for, for me to feel my body do some movements. Gardening, it's a fabulous whole body yes. movement. Thing.
0: Dancing. Uh,
1: and I dance, I, I belly dance, and I, yeah, lots of lots of types of dance. And each of these things are things that I can have, I can choose today or I can choose something else tomorrow. I can have as much flexibility. All I need to do is to give myself some opportunities through the day. And that oh, idea yeah. that there is one special set of exercises that will do it for everybody or that exercise, as it's d- determined by somebody else, because so often it's thought to be, well, you'll do three sets of 10 of whatever yeah. exercise it is you're given. Um, yeah. that, is not, that doesn't work for everybody. Right. Movement is fabulous. It's really good for our bodies, especially with inflammatory problems because right. it reduces swelling. It actually reduces inflammation. It increases your mobility. It hurts a bit at the time because that's what happens. But at the end of it, you're left with this toned, really good body. Hmm. But it, it doesn't have to be this rigid, you will do this, It's almost like a military,
0: <laughs> military camp. Well, and then it. it's another kind of setting you up for failure because then if you're given this expectation that if you do X, Y, Z, you'll feel better and then you do it and you don't feel better, then you're like, well, yep. what's wrong? I did it. You know, so you are all sh- the rules,
1: and it's not fair. <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah, I mean, and it's hard. Oh, it to, I think if you know, I mean, you. So in your in your work, you work with people who have had who have been able bodied. Some of the people you work with as an occupational therapist have been able bodied, and then they experienced an injury, right? Yeah. And then other people have already experienced chronic pain. Is that right? Like they've yeah. had. So do you notice sometimes that the people who, I would assume that the People who um, uh, who are only recently injured may have that idea of okay, just tell me what I need to do, and I'll just do it and feel better. Like like this.
1: Yeah. Or maybe I, I don't think, want to be
0: over general, but yeah.
1: yeah. I think by the time people get to see me, because I see people at the sort of end of the journey oh, very right. often, so fairly far down the track, mm-hmm. um, they are getting to realise for themselves that everything they've tried has had a cost. And some of the yeah. costs are indirect. Just the fact that you've got to wait between appointments, you have a scan or something, and then you end up having to wait for the results.
0: Right. And then wait
1: while somebody decides what they're going to do. And then wait for the treatment to happen. All this waiting gets in the way of, because we kind of, I'll start life once, I've, I've done this once I've got better. Mm-hmm. Well, what happens when you don't get better? And yeah. I find lots of people are waiting and waiting and waiting and 10 years later, they're still waiting for something to happen to take it all away. And that's fostered by some of our health professionals. Right. Right. Particularly, so take our, our 50 medical students who are taught they've got to have the answer
0: right.
1: and they don't know what to do. They are sort of flailing about, trying to find something that nobody else has offered, Mm -hmm. instead of saying, "Actually, this is how this is as good as it gets." But I can help you get a better quality to your life. Right. Um, It's scary to say that as a as a health professional that I don't have anything to offer you. I heard that. um, I was twenty two. 21, 22, Mm. and I'd had chronic pain for two years by that stage, chronic back pain at the time Mm. and the doctor um, I'll never forget him and I just owe so much to him the rheumatologist Mike Butler and he said, um, I'm sorry but there's no medication, nothing that's going to take this pain away Mm. and I was gutted you know, I was young and I thought I thought to myself, I'm going to have to live like this forever. But Mm. what he gave me was, he said, read this book. It was called The Challenge of Pain. And it was written by Malzak and Wall. And he kind of obviously cued into the fact that I'm a bit of a geek and I like to read. So it is all about the gate control theory of pain. Mm. And it helped me realize that, yes, I hurt, but this is not about doing harm to myself. It's just pain. It's still pain. I don't have to like it. Right. (laughs) I don't like my pain, but it's just pain. It's just noise. It's like hearing um, the wind blow or knowing that my eye color is brown and I'm short. It's (laughs) just part of of being a human for me. And I learned that I couldn't do stuff anyway. So that part was really good. And I Mm -hmm. would hope that more health professionals would say, I don't know what to do next, but I'll be with you, as he was, to work out what to do. So he he gave me the book. I went away. What he didn't do at the time was help me learn how to live well with pain. That's my lifelong journey. I'm still learning. Every time I run a group with a bunch of different people who've got pain, I learn something new, which is cool. And no, I don't like pacing myself. I hate it. I'm a terrible pacer, which is, you know, pacing is one of those things we're supposed to do. It's been really good right. for you and you're going to live yep. your life by chunking everything down into these little bits. But actually it's really, it's awful
0: <laughs> because it can, you have to stop. Well, yeah, it, I think it just depends on your own patterns. Like if yeah. I tried to pace myself perfectly throughout an entire day, I actually wouldn't be able to get as much done is if I take advantage of my body's natural rhythm, which is I'm a morning person and I get really tired in the afternoon. Pretty much whatever I do, I'm still going to have that afternoon crash. So I kind of, you know, I pace myself within the morning, but but with the expectation that I'm going to run out of steam at around two in the afternoon, and then I make I bank on resting and recharging. You know, so if I pace myself all day like steadily, just for some the concept you know, of pacing, I wouldn't really make sense. But actually, because you, you, I wanted to uh, ask you more about the program itself. Um, can you walk me through a little bit of like, maybe either like the day in the life of you as an OT or maybe the program itself, whatever one's... probably. Yeah, do it um, all. <laughs> yeah. so, so the group program that I run is based on
1: acceptance and commitment therapy. Mm -hmm. Um, it's six weeks and it's a bit constrained by our funding models right the way it is and the last group was run half face-to-face and half online Um, and it worked really well so I'm pleased with that and it was
0: face-to-face was prior to the coronavirus yeah, yeah yeah
1: we're just yeah we got about three three sessions in so, yeah. so the first session is really a chance to get to know one another and to realize just what a journey we've all been on so we talk yeah. about pain we try to get um, some kind of understanding between us as to what what's going on with pain why do things like my emotions affect my pain? why okay. does stress affect my pain? why do these drugs not work for me you know what's what's going on there and what it's like to be Have this invisible illness that nobody's looking at you can tell.
0: Yeah, that's huge. Just acknowledging that. I had, I didn't hear of the phrase invisible illness till I'd had rheumatoid arthritis for like over five years. And I was like, oh, I love that. How many people are in the group, by the way? Just for the Um, OTs who might be
1: up to eight. I don't like to get bigger than that because the group. Um, I've found, I've done groups for a long time, i found that splitting groups, groups split up into smaller chunks when they get too big mm-hmm. people start, you know, having the little group, you know, I'm in that group and not that group, Yeah, yeah, yeah. so yeah. I stick with eight and okay. it's, um, it means that I can give time to those people as well right. um, so the first, first session is really saying so we have tried all of these things and it's not working, what right. can we do? What else can we do? What's going on here? So it's kind of, and in, in getting ourselves aligned as to what this pain is like and what we understand about pain. And that's mm-hmm. a, something we do together. So I mm-hmm. don't tell people we, we've all got enough um, experience. We've all been told lots of different things about pain. And I want to help people make sense of the stuff that they've been told.
0: Hmm. for
1: themselves it's not my job to explain somebody else's pain because everybody's pain is quite unique to them right
0: that's so validating I I imagine oh yeah
1: Yeah. and to realize that that in a group of eight people or nine because I'm in there as well that every one of us has probably gone through really similar stuff like Mm -hmm. trying drugs that don't do a thing Or getting the brush off from a a clinician who really doesn't know what to do next.
0: Mm -hmm. Or
1: having family members who look at you as if, oh, what's wrong with you?
0: You know, you just want to be lazy. You want to get attention. Yeah, you're just milking it. Yeah. Yeah.
1: And realizing too that things like sleep are a problem, that Mm the everyday frustrations of Things like getting clothing on, um, cooking a meal. These are just everyday life hassles mm-hmm, that mm-hmm. we all deal with. And that is right. often not ever acknowledged. Um, people don't ask about how, or how do you prepare a meal when you've got achy mm-hmm. hands and sore shoulders and mm-hmm. you're tired at the end of the day and somebody asks you what's for dinner and you roll your eyes and go, oh, I don't know. <laughs> Um, right. So at the end of that session, we go away with, um, I leave people with the thought that so if, if pain's going to be a thing, if mm-hmm. this is as good as it gets in terms of changing pain intensity, but it was less of a problem for you, mm. what would you be doing? Right. If pain isn't such a problem, but you still have it, but it's not such a problem, what would, what would you be doing? So I'm inviting people to dream a little. Yeah. And this is where it's magic because you see people come back the next week and you ask them, What what would you be doing if pain wasn't such a problem? And they get this light in their eyes and this, well, wow, I'd be and they'd say, I'd be, you know, playing playing football with my kids, I'd be um, cooking, I'd be out at work, I'd be, you know, cycling, right. I'd be doing all these things that, that are wonderful and fabulous. So the second session um, we start with that, what, you know, what would you be doing? And then we talk about activity scheduling because, because although I don't like pacing, I do know that sometimes knowing your good times and your not-so-good times allows you to schedule accordingly. Right. And if you can avoid over yourself, you'll probably have a little <laughs> bit more left over, left in the tank for those times when you do feel like your pain is overwhelming and it's a bit much. So just talk about um, what happens if you completely avoid and you do nothing. And most people will agree, well, actually, it feels like, it feels terrible. I'm just doing nothing and I'm still sore. And then we talk about the booming and the busting, which is a favourite of mine. I do it. You push yourself really hard and then you crash. And then you push yourself and then you crash. And so we talk about what that's like and where you might do that. Because if you talk to anybody um in the States in the week before Thanksgiving. Yeah. You can bet everybody's rushing around like madness. Right. Because we do that because we rush around to do stuff and then we crash. Right. Whether we've got a chronic illness or not. So to expect people with um, chronic pain to live that rigid structured life where you never flex it up and down is rid-
0: ridiculous and i've yeah.
1: heard people get told off because they don't pace as if
0: it's this terrible Magic. Thing. or like <laughs> as if pacing is going to completely solve the problem like if it right. completely solved the problem then of course we would do it like <laughs> precisely and yeah. sometimes other things are more important right like right.
1: i want to be able to have this fantastic meal with my family So I will rush around like a headless chalk and do that.
0: Right, right. So we, and then
1: we talk about, um, what about these people who are constantly going at the really high level Mm -hmm. and then they catch the bug and they just crash. Mm -hmm. So it's people who really overcompensate and then all of a sudden reach that tipping point and then they crash and it's really hard to get back up again. Yeah. Not that I'm trying to, say anyway is better than any other but right. to help people reflect on what their choices might be, the good and the not so good about right. each of these options
0: right. and then we talk
1: about how might you, if you're in one pattern, how might you change that pattern what might, you know, because you know if you go from doing nothing to doing a lot, you're going to get payback, <laughs> really pay yeah. Payback. yeah. so <laughs> what can you do to increase what you do and most people will be sensible and they'll say well we'll just do a little bit more each day or Mm -hmm. we'll stick at a level until that feels okay and then we'll nudge it up a wee bit so I'm trying to use what people tell me and the way that the group feels to come up with solutions that work inside people's lives so at the end of that session we set a mission because we don't do homework oh I I like that mission We have missions, should you choose to accept it, which is why my ringtone. Oh, that's amazing. (laughs) So what's your mission? And it could be around, well, I've decided that if pain was less of a problem, how could I start doing something that makes me feel more like me? Or what could I do to to play with, to experiment with different ways of structuring my activities? So off they go. And then we begin the third session. Reviewing, well, how did it go? What happened? No, there's no failure. There's just a chance to learn. What would I do differently? Right. What did I learn? What worked well? What didn't work well? Mm-hmm. And how might I play, play it up again next time? Mm-hmm. So the third session is, is looking at the choice point. So I mm-hmm. use choice point as my key way of helping people make decisions on the fly for a life that looks more like them, more like Mm. who they are, helps people make decisions about what matters in the moment. So for those of you that don't know, the choice point is stopping to notice what's happening at this very moment. In my next step, am I going to do something that's going to take me closer to being the kind of person and living the kind of life that I want to have, or is it going to take me further away? Mm. so in that moment I'm also going to have some hooks some things that will hook me in and make me think um, oh I have to do it that way because that's what everybody expects or I'm going to do the thing that takes me away from being who I want to be because of some something, some mm-hmm. expectation or something, something like that and then we've got helpers as well what could help me make a choice that takes me in the way that I want to go Right. And so we use that as a really simple tool to help people make decisions throughout the day. It means noticing. Mm-hmm. So it means mindfulness and noticing. And so we do lots of that. Um, in fact, I introduced that in the first session just some noticing, noticing yeah. your breath, noticing some sounds, noticing what your body feels like. Because lots of people with pain actually don't want to feel what their body feels like.
0: Oh, yeah, yeah, guilty. I had that when I first started doing mindfulness. I was like, I don't like this because I, I I'm noticing my pain. Thanks. And it's really bothering
1: me. Great. Yeah.
0: I'm like, uh, yeah. no. But then I, yeah, it, yeah, it's a process.
1: Yeah. And sometimes people, instead of not wanting to go there, actually obsess over it. I'm just going to notice this really sore part, and I'm not going to notice the, the rest of my body is actually okay. so we talk about giving your left earlobe some love Mm -hmm. when was your left left earlobe given some love (laughs) (laughs) when was your belly button given some love you know when do you notice those parts of your body that feel great right so we do that quite a lot um but noticing is that part in in the choice point of just noticing so say I'm trying to eat better because you know COVID means you eat lots of chocolate and drink far too much alcohol. (laughs) So in this moment, what do I really want? Do I want to lose weight? I've got type type 2 diabetes, Mm. -diabetes? Mm pre-diabetes. Well, I think I've not got it anymore because I've lost a lot of weight because I've been able to say in this moment what matters. Grabbing for that chocolate that I know I'm going to adore or actually working towards not having diabetes. which one one matters more to me in this moment. So sometimes I can say, yes, I'm going to have some chocolate because actually it feels good. Mm -hmm. Other times I'll say, no, I don't have to. I can choose not to. So I just try to teach people that process of stopping and noticing. So as my hand reaches towards the chocolates, (laughs) Mm -hmm. I can stop in that moment and think, right, What's my best, next best step,
0: a right. towards move or
1: an away move? So that's mm-hmm. our third session, and in, that, in the end of that session, we go through what do you want to use as your choice point, what, how many times you're going to use choice points throughout, your, and maybe mm-hmm. we we'll use choice point for some of the people that I work with find it really hard to stop. They don't like yeah. sitting and doing nothing. It's not what we hear much about. We hear so much more about people who avoid movement. But there are just as many people, I think, who push themselves really, really hard and feel guilty and uncomfortable just stopping.
0: Hmm, and, interesting. Uh, you
1: know, they keep busy all the time and almost oh. a driven feeling. Mm-hmm. So they just stop and notice, um, can feel really uncomfortable. So maybe we can practice that. So right. we, we play lots of people set their own mission to mm-hmm. integrate using choice points sometime at some place in their life, during that right. coming week. Then, fourth session, where we talk about, um, oh, this one's the sleep session. Mm-hmm. Sleep and sex session. We, Ooh, we yeah. have to have a sex session because, you know, yes. you just have to. But yeah. we do talk about sleep because... Most people with persistent pain find that their sleep is rotten, at least for a yeah, while. Yeah. And we can blame that poor sleep on our pain, but it seems that it's possibly less the pain that wakes us, more that when we wake up in our normal fluctuations of alertness is over the course of the night, when we have pain, we wake fully instead of just mm. waking up a little bit. And then we find it harder to fall asleep because it's harder to wind the body down a bit. Right. So we just talk about some sleep practice that we can use. Some people will have tried a lot of this stuff before. Right. So we use the mindfulness approach. And we also talk about, um, you know, sleep hygiene can be quite rigid. It says you will have a dark bedroom. Yeah, It will be cool. Um, it will be very quiet. And you will, um, you know, you will stay in bed for 20 minutes. If you're not asleep, you will get out of bed and you will go and fight and blah, blah, blah. Which is, you know, yeah. so it's very ruley, and it's not always, well, there can be some funny co- consequences. If somebody's learned that they've got to fall asleep and the room's got to be absolutely
0: quiet. Yeah.
1: And then you stay in a hotel with the air conditioning.
0: Yeah. Where
1: you stay at a friend's place and there's a train running by, you can't mm-hmm. get you you find it hard to fall asleep so I teach a more mindful approach which is let's just notice that yes that's going on but I'm resting my Mm -hmm. body rather than fighting with and struggling to fall asleep which does not work let's just notice let's just notice that I'm resting in in bed and I'll notice my breath and actually I fall asleep much faster that way anyway
0: yeah yeah I found that too
1: Yeah. And then at the end of that session we talk about well, what might you try out of all the different things that we cover in the sleep session or something else that's part of um, your living more like yourself.
0: Right, right. And then we go to um, who's on your team. Oh but what about the sex part? We don't want to miss that. Oh the sex oh yeah. yeah. Yep. Well it can
1: either come in there or it come in, in the who's
0: on your team. Oh, oh okay. Part, sorry.
1: Yeah. <laughs> it can be one or it can be one or other, but Let's put it into the, into the who's on your team. So who's on your team is going through all the people you've had to tell your story to. Mm. And not everybody that you tell your story to is going to be the person that's going to get it.
0: Mm-hmm. And the
1: fact that we do disclose a lot to other people about what's going on inside us, well, it's really reciprocated. So we don't mm-hmm. know as much about our health professionals as they know about us. which makes a power difference between us and yet we are two people coming together to try and sort something out
0: trying to work out
1: how I'm going to live the life that I want so surely we should be on an equal footing Hmm. I'm an expert in my life and the health professional might be an expert in drugs or something else exercise for example but ultimately I want us to learn how to collaborate Which means coming together. So we go through all the different people and we talk about family and we talk about how we might express how we're feeling. Um, I haven't used a code word yet, but Mm. I was listening to Linda um, Crawford OT talk about code words. So when you are at that point where you've had enough, you might say asparagus to your (laughs) family member and they will know, I'm just reached my limit right now i need to go find somewhere quiet to be right and just in a non confrontational and agreed way signal i'm just going to take some time out or i'm just going to do something to look after myself Mm -hmm. i really like that we talk about that we haven't used the the code word but we will we've Mm -hmm. talked about just setting those boundaries realizing that my pain's my problem that somebody looking at me can't tell that I'm sore, mm-hmm. so for me to expect them to anticipate that they know what to do, and when to do it is probably a bit silly. Mm-hmm. So I need to be able to tell them and take ownership of how I want other people to respond to me.
0: Right. So that
1: means being straight up. So we talk about mm-hmm. clobbering, which is where you clobber somebody with the hammer and say, "You're wrong. I'm right. Go away.
0: You're a, you yeah. Know, You'll never right. understand.
1: Yeah." yeah. And it's not fair and yeah, and you should be doing it this way and you should anticipate my every need that part. Yeah. Or we have pussy footing, yeah. which is the opposite. Oh yes, right. dear. well if you want, if you really like, but actually you're seething underneath. You right, know. right. But that's sort of not being that's being passive. So we have aggression, right. being and pass, being passive. And then what I hope that we get is to is this straight up. Mm-hmm. Adult to adult, person to person, I'm being honest, you're being honest and we're owning our own feelings. So we talk Mm. about that, and we practice some some statements, and it's here that we often talk about intimacy, and Mm. what is it like for the family member who doesn't know whether it's okay to touch, because we're sore, who feels guilty when they want to have sex, and we're saying, oh, not tonight, darling, I have a headache. Mm -hmm. Uh, What's it like when we have needs, and they feel too scared to reciprocate because they're scared they're gonna hurt us Mm -hmm. Uh, what's it like when you feel like you're all touched out and you actually want to say no I just need space so we just talk about that what else can we do to feel close and loved what are the yes some practical strategies that we can use lube
0: is a thing
1: and it's fine use toys right right
0: (laughs) right right no and I think the thing that you were saying earlier about the power dynamic with a practitioner and a, and a patient, it can also come into play when one person in the relationship is more in the caregiver role. Yeah. And so then the person who's more having more pain or needing more help feels mm-hmm. less comfortable yeah. saying no. Cause they're like, Oh, I owe this person, you know? Yeah. So I've kind of had that just a few times where I've had to be like, stop myself from thinking that way, you know, yeah. because it's like yeah. it, you still always have that, Autonomy and the right to, of course, you know. Yeah.
1: And that's a yourself. difficult thing because we do have this sort of balancing set of scales in our head about he's done this, he's done that. I've oh done yeah, this, I've done that. I'm a middle I, child, I've so this. that's bad. Yeah. yeah, we do. We do that. Um, we talk about different aspects of intimacy. We talk about how you might communicate. We talk about the power differential. We yeah, talk yes. really about how people can um, take this is my, my life, my body, my experience and I need to own it and not mm. expect other people to mind read me, likewise, mm-hmm. I'm not going to mind read them. Because, right. Because there's a, a real thing where um, initially when somebody gets pain, their family's sort of, oh, poor you, and they wrap mm. them up in cotton wool and then families start to feel a bit resentful. You're not mm. getting, better. why not? Um, and then they start to get angry and then mm. they f- sort of have an explosion and then they feel guilty and then they start doing all that and I'm going to cut mollycoddle you again and yeah. it becomes this really unhelpful um, cycle of, you know, guilt, resentment, lots of love and TLC and then feeling resentful yes. and then feeling guilt and it just, that's nasty. So we, we just talk about that that especially when it comes to intimacy that you know connecting with a partner doesn't have to be um rip-roaring sex all the time sometimes it's really fun but
0: actually
1: you can feel as close to and loved by holding hands and watching Mm -hmm. a movie Mm
0: -hmm. you know there are
1: lots of different ways of expressing love and that's so I leave People to go away and have a little conversation with their families. And mission, often, yeah, <laughs> a mission. their mission. And it might be um, it because we talk about lots of other things. It might be that they actually go and make another appointment with the doctor. That they're mm-hmm. saying, "Hold on, I don't feel like we're having a good conversation. I want to try and make our, mm-hmm. you know, healthcare relationship better." Um, it might be that they decide to not see. Um, some doctors or some health mm-hmm. professionals that they've felt haven't understood. Mm-hmm. So, that's, out of that, there can be lots of different options that come up for people um, that become their mission. And then the last session, the their, their other mission that they, they do in this last week is we have a self management plan. That is a nice. list of all the things that we've talked about. And because at each session, we've we talk a lot about different strategies that right. might be useful. As we as we deconstruct each um, mission with a mm-hmm. what could you try different? We try lots of we talk about lots of different options for people. The group come up with them and I come up with them and we just kind of swap notes. So on the on that final day they have a two page um, self management plan that is basically it's their um, documentation of the things that help them. In detail, that they can take with them wherever they go to any health professional to say, "Look, I've tried these things. These things help me. Nice. These things don't. I'm not going to do those." So we don't go around and around that. Oh, well, have you tried? This? You know, yes. So have people say to me, "Well, have you tried?" You know, it'll be goatee berries or it'll be yeah. yoga, yeah. yoga,
0: yoga, yoga, yeah. yeah.
1: <laughs> Which I don't mind. Yoga. No, actually, I like it. Okay, but, yeah, but you know. Um. actually yes I have already tried that and yes. by the way it, and have you tried this drug? Yes I've tried that drug and no it doesn't and no cannabis doesn't help me either it's just yeah. you know so it's being able to put people back in the driver's seat mm-hmm. of their own pain management of being in charge of their own healthcare team of choosing who's yes. on their yes. team and not on their team of being able to make deliberate choices about what they do, how they do it, when and why. Instead of having to feel like your pain's pushing you around or other mm-hmm. people are pushing you around, that you state, say, well, I'm making the decisions and that means I'll wear the, the, um, the side effects. So right, if I do nothing right. and I get a, get a flare-up, I, I know how I can handle it because right. I do. And in that session, we also talk about flare-ups. We talk about setbacks. What are your early warning signs? When do you know that you're in a high-risk situation?
0: Mm -hmm. Which for
1: me is travel. So if Mm, I'm... (laughs) But, you know, when I'm travelling, when I'm not sleeping enough, when I'm out at conferences and I have to do a lot of talking, um, those are times when I'm really pushing myself and I know that I'm going to get sore and tired and probably cranky so exactly. I probably need to look after myself so we look at those high-risk situations and we work out what to do ahead of time and we develop a can cope card so
0: nice. the can
1: cope card is oh, let me see. One. it's basically a business card like that yeah um, only it's two of them back to back I haven't got one handy but it's like this, so it's back-to-back back like that. Nice. And, it, over and it, for, it goes into your wallet. Oh. And in the inside, you list 10 things that you can do that nice. when you're having a flare-up. And so that first of that is always stop and breathe out. <laughs> yeah. Because, you know, when we get stressed, the first thing we do is probably hold our breath. Mm-hmm. So we stop we breathe out and then there'll be some kind of statement about okay now take a chill pill (laughs) next step what am I going to do and it could include the phone number of somebody that you can call it could include I'm going to go for a brief walk around the block I'm going to go off to the toilets the bathroom Mm -hmm. you say Mm -hmm. and do a stretch and just have a bit of time on my own um I'm going to just stand up and walk around my chair just Little little things that can tide us through until we get back to home at the end of the day. So right, it just right. helps people in the moment mm-hmm. have something that does the thinking for them because in the middle of it, you your thinking can often just fall over. You oh, just can't think straight. So
0: let's that's write it down. so true. <laughs> for me, I had that for, for claustrophobia. You know, I would go through all the strategies. I would practice it. But then when it would happen, I'd be like, wait, what are my strategies again? I forget. Like I'm in the MRI machine. What was I going to do? Ah, you know, that would be scary. That's a hard one. one Well, so the exposure therapy was um, coupled with ACT really was the the transformation for me because I just learned, you know, I just kind of learned that I could tolerate Mm -hmm. my own discomfort rather than trying to run away from it or desperately try to figure out how to make it the goal isn't to make me feel good in the mri right it's to just be able to tolerate the mri without a massive panic attack so kind of like what russ harris said about like public speaking you know like a lot of people's a realistic goal for a lot of people wouldn't be to feel 100 percent calm and peaceful as Mm -hmm. they public speak Mm -hmm. even though i love public speaking but most people don't you know but to say yeah i can recognize and sit with and make space for the anxious thoughts and It just took me a lot of practice. I've I've seen a lot of people who say, oh, act is so, it's so, um, it makes so much sense. And it's so, and to me, I'm like, it didn't make sense to me at first because I was so attached or fused with the idea of I'm a problem solver, pain and anxiety are a problem. I'm just going to fix them and make them go away.
1: Yeah. Exactly. I know exactly uh, what you say.
0: Yeah, so,
1: that, that's what we are. Our minds are made to pr- solve problems, but life's yeah. not a problem. It's a it's <laughs> and pain so pain funny. can be problematic, but the problems that pain poses is less often than the solutions that we put in place. Mm-hmm. They can be more problematic. Yeah. So if you have to, if you feel like you have to do, you know, your sets of three sets of 10 exercises and you have no other choice then that's equally rigid as mm. saying my pain's in the way i can't do it hmm. mm-hmm. what we need is that flexibility to be able to choose in the moment what is going to work to take me closer to being me
0: right, that's right. really
1: important so the the can card is a way for people to carry their thoughts with them to not it. have to do the thinking to be prepared ahead of time and then we talk about setback planning Mm -hmm. so yes you've had say under COVID where we've been in lockdown and your usual way of um, maintaining well-being is going to the pools and swimming Mm -hmm. and you can't do that what can you do so trying to have some variability and some choice about what you do is um, part of that that sort of process and that is this whole six weeks of springboard, where I I know it's only a springboard,
0: right? It's only a starting point.
1: It's where people yeah. start, and then I'm hoping they can go off and do life.
0: A springboard and, into their life. I love yeah, it to have some
1: more oh, flexibility great. to think about what do I really want to have that time. Um, and it's funny, often at the end of the program, people will say. But they didn't think of their pain as something they could gain from.
0: Mm.
1: But then they say, "But hold on, when I go to a job, I am better at stress management than most people." Oh yes, yes. Because I have to do it. I know how right. to lift and to carry in the, in the safest way possible because my body will tell me if I don't.
0: Right. So they
1: start to look on what. We learn as a result of living with pain as some, something that we can take advantage of. I, I know I'm tough, and I know yes. that we are the toughest beasts around because we have to be, and that's something yeah. to really celebrate.
0: I, I've really been thinking about that a lot in the coronavirus situation for me personally. I, I, I really doubt that I would have coped uh, in the same way that's kind of been pretty... Uh, I don't want to say, like, I'm coping really great. I'm amazing. But, like, I feel like my experiences with ACT, that like acceptance, because I keep hearing people say things like, there's all these unknowns. There's all these unknowns. Mm-hmm. Like, as if it's, like, that's the problem rather than, like, that's <laughs> – yeah. we always don't know. Yeah. Like, we always yeah. – obviously, we don't always have deadly things that are this – contagious that we don't know but like the idea of like my psych my psychiatrist i've had a psychologist therapist and a psychiatrist therapist um mm-hmm. and he there's one's female one's male but anyway he because i think people who are i keep referring to them as my therapist someone's like which one is you have like what is happening um you have a, a he and a she like what is going on um but he has said so many times to me like can you sit with the uncertainty like because I kept being like, "But well, I can't deal with the uncertainty. Like, how am I going to fix it? And he's like, yeah. you're not. I'm like, you're the yeah. downer, dude. Like at first. <laughs> and then I was like, okay, I get you. I get you now because there literally is just no Life, other way. Yeah. Life yeah. is
1: so totally uncertain and random. And I think yeah. that's something I learned after the earthquakes of, in Christchurch. Oh, yeah, in Christchurch the ones who coped better were ones who realized that actually shit happens everywhere, anywhere, and it doesn't respect the fact that you've been a good person or a bad person, it actually just shit happens. So let's let's go with it. And um, yes, the next earthquake might be really nasty and life will be a shambles again, but hey, we've got through this, we can get through, we just have to do it day by day.
0: Right. Right. Oh, don't have
1: to go, you know, plan the whole rest of my life out. We just have to go day by day.
0: And this is from, I can't remember if you have kids or not, but if when you have a baby, yeah. Okay. I thought you did. I just didn't want to be presumptuous, but you know, I think a baby is a good analogy for that, right? If you have a baby and you think you're going to be able to control everything in the baby's life, you're exposed very quickly to the reality that that's not.
1: Yeah. Think of the thought of actually a child sleeping through the night. So my children are adult now. Yeah. My son's 29 and he's moved back home. Oh wow. Yeah, he's moved back over the weekend because um, his the flat that he was in the woman. As soon as we got to level two, which mm. means we've got a bit more flexibility, she said, "Off you go." Oh. Apparently, she's vegan and she didn't like the fact that he had his He wanted to have a stereo in the lounge beside the plants. And the plants did not like the electronics. And she wouldn't let him put any food in the fridge because he wasn't vegan.
0: Oh, wow. That's um, pretty
1: committed. Yeah. So so he's come home. And my daughter, and he's got a lovely girlfriend who's got two really lovely boys. And they came over last night. It was just fantastic. And then my daughter's 26 and she's just left um Christchurch to move to Auckland. oh big, nice. big move for her to be completely independent um, wow and and her job is in social media, so she's nice. a social media marketing person and of course everything dried up and so she was really, really worried because you know all the marketing was supposed to happen now and it didn't oh, yeah. Um, but it's coming back really quickly now, oh, and good. she's rolling in it. But, but, well, she's having to do a lot of work to get, get everything out there. But, you know, kids are – I'd always thought that one of my children would go to university and be, you know, this bookish person like me. Well, no. Yeah. My son's a diesel mechanic. He happens to like philosophy as well, but he's a
0: diesel mechanic. Nice. And Michelle is um, a social media queen and wow. you know the Insta queen. <laughs> yeah, that's. I, I talk to her. I'm thinking, okay, she's the next interview. No, <laughs> I've been having fun with social media, but yeah, it's a oh, there's yeah. a lot of strategy to it. I'm sure, yeah. especially right now. Um, but I yes,
1: we have, we have to be. I think we do better in life if we look to what we want to have as important and we find ways to express what's important to us in different forms.
0: There are lots
1: of different ways to be who you are. Right. Being a good dad, there are loads of different ways to be a really good father. Right. There's also loads of different ways of being good OT. You don't have to just dish out equipment. You can do lots of stuff. And that's Mm -hmm. great. It gives us, it gives us more opportunities to, um, to express who we are. And yes, that's, I think what life is meant to be about really.
0: Oh, <laughs> that's such in. a wonderful point almost to end on. I just, I have, I have one more question though. I think first of all, I've said this already before I started recording, I think, but thank you so much for your time because you really are like a guru of the pain world. Um, But um, for OT especially, and I know we've had this talk already, but I guess now that we're recording it, you know that it's you know I'm hopeful that in the next decade or so, more occupational therapists will pursue pain program, you know, working in the field of pain like you have. Um, Oh, oh, really quick, this is not my final question, but do you do the same? Um, So you have a six week program for the groups of eight. When you work individually or when you worked in the past individually were you covering like were your sessions pretty similar in terms of like that kind of back and forth like problem solving of very much
1: yeah. okay, I okay. yeah i don't although the, the main difference is that for the program we do have this week we'll do this topic next week oh to yeah it. structure But with, yeah. with individuals it's much more fluid but i still do it's not about me telling people stuff my job right. is to help people connect dots that they maybe hadn't thought were connected before and to help them come up with oh that's what's going on the realization for themselves and then to experiment with different ways of trying to do things so that ultimately they're the judge of well they're the judge of what works but better than that they're learning some ways to learn to play with and experiment so they're learning some ways to solve for themselves or ways of being with experiences so that the process is as important right. as the end result.
0: That's so different than how, yeah, I think a lot of people, or maybe I shouldn't say that, but that, that's a little different than that kind of sage on the stage mentality yeah. of, yeah. you know, okay, you come into my office, I tell you, you know, I tell you how to move your body, I tell you what to do. And it's more collaborative, you know. It is. And I
1: think we, we deserve that because, With pain, we are the experts in what it feels like. We're also the experts in what our life is going to be, what we want our life to be. And what we're coming to somebody for is some help to get that life, not necessarily to get rid of the pain, but to have the life we want. So if that person doesn't want to work with me to help me get my life, then it's not really working. Right, so I've right. never had an OT except when I had my um, concussion when she reminded me that actually I probably do need to break in between seeing people oh yeah <laughs> it was wonderful um I, and for my pain I've not had any kind of any successful treatments I suppose I've figured it out myself over the years yeah. by reading and experimenting but oh, how I wish that I'd been told that it's okay to feel the pain and to do what matters. Right.
0: You
1: know, it's okay to be willing to experience flare ups if you're doing what's important. If mm-hmm. I'd known that, I wouldn't have spent half my life trying to move properly and, you know, mm. lift properly and sit and live a life that wasn't me.
0: Wow. That's really powerful. And actually, well, my last question was going to be you know, if you wanted to leave people with any uh, message about pain, but that kind of, you kind of just answered that, like that <laughs> you don't have to wait, or if I would paraphrase it, you don't have to wait till the pain's gone to live.
1: Well, no, because life is still happening. Right.
0: While the pain is there. And if you
1: wait for it to be gone, for some, some of us, we won't have a pain reduction. Right. It may just not ever happen. And that's a whole life that you've spent waiting for it to do the thing that was so important to you. Um, And even if we can't do that thing in the way that we thought we were going to do it, at least we'll begin to do some of the things that take us closer towards that
0: thing that we want to do.
1: Because it's the quality of how we live our life and the qualities of how we do things that matter. Right, you know, that I can be patient, that I can be um, exuberant, <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> that I can have a stupid sense of humour, that uh-huh. I can things in a different, left field way. Those are things
0: yeah. that yeah. So, um, for some reason, because I'm I'm a dork too in terms of like you know n- loving science. I don't have a PhD, but um, that's like next level. I don't know. <laughs> I don't. <know. laughs> but, oh God, I don't know. But. Uh, The thing I was thinking about is the null hypothesis, right? The null hypothesis is that things, at least my remembrance of it, is that things won't change. Like, so it's almost like approaching your your pain as if, okay, so this is where you are now, like today, you know, March or whatever the month is, May, May 17th, this is where my pain's at. The null hypothesis is that it's not going to change like and so and then we i i think that some people get confused because i think well if you accept or are willing to tolerate your pain that means that you don't want it to ever get better but to me i those that can be held at the same time like i hope like for arthritis i hope there's a cure i hope that there's a cure for arthritis of course i do you know in my lifetime but the null hypothesis is that there isn't because there's not a cure right now you know and the null hypothesis that, that maybe this is as good as it gets you know Maybe it actually gets worse from now on, and so I'll be. It's kind of like you, looking in the mirror when you're a teenager and thinking, "Oh, like my thighs are too big," or like this, and then you look back at that picture, 30 years later, and you're like, "I was so beautiful. I didn't even know it." Like you don't know, you know, if you're like, I had that experience when I got my car accident because I was I never had neck pain before. And suddenly mm. I was like jealous of my former self who only had <laughs> rheumatoid arthritis pain yeah. and didn't, yeah. uh, or had C-section pain and I had pineal cyst pain, but I didn't have neck pain. And now I'm sitting here thinking, geez, that girl had it really good, you know? Yeah, it's just, it's, that's absolutely the thing. Uh, it's really weird. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, mm-hmm. but I think I'm just, I mean, you know we can talk about this for nine hours, but I'm imagining that it must, it's it's a hard pill to swallow, I think, for I'm sure for, for some yeah. people, I, um, it's almost like, and again, my, most of my OT work has been in pediatrics, but it's almost, there's a little bit of an analogy. It's not a perfect analogy, but like there's been kind of a sea change in the autism world where instead of saying you have neurotypical people and then you have people with autism and mm-hmm. you need to just make the people who have autism more similar to the neurotypicals. Mm-hmm. Now it's saying like, no, 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 we have a spectrum of human beings and neurodiversity. I know I'm kind of preaching to the choir but so it's teaching someone to function in a world that just happens to be predominantly neurotypical. Um, yeah. and so okay we're going to have to be able to function in this world just to be able to just take care of ourselves but to yeah. say that we can accept that someone flapping their hands can we just accept that instead of just saying that's a problem to be solved because it doesn't look normal doesn't look neurotypical yeah. you know so someone says the
1: problem is the question i ask yeah is the problem it's, right often it's not the person who's doing that right? Doing oh, it's yeah. the person looking at them feeling uncomfortable well isn't that something that that person needs to deal with, not the person who's doing what you don't like mm-hmm. it's mm-hmm. a bit like with the pain when I, if I'm unhappy because somebody's not doing what I want them to do because mm. of my pain, did I bother communicating to them that this yeah. is what I like, did I yeah. and if they didn't if I did and they didn't follow through, well, isn't that my preference it's that I'm I'm wanting to push onto them? Right,
0: Maybe right. there are things
1: that I can adjust and, and alter that right. make me more adaptable and cope cope better. It's, right. It's you know, we
0: can be flexible. Yeah, and I think actually, and okay, now I'm just going on another topic. But the social <laughs> social media for me um, has become such a it's a wonderful resource of support. Of course, mm-hmm. with, with especially if you have a really specific disease or disability, like um, like I, I have a friend who has a child with a very rare genetic disability where there's just no one else that she knows who has it, right? But with rheumatoid, it's a little more common. But um, but still, I see this. Sometimes it can become an echo chamber, right? Where one's like, well, yeah. my husband doesn't understand. Neither does mine. Yeah, mine doesn't. either. Nobody understands us. And then it kind of escalates. And then you forget to kind of say, well, did you, ch-? like you just said, you have to be accountable. Did you ask for what you want before you, yeah. you yeah. know, what I've read,
1: um, not to tell, not to go onto Facebook groups of people oh. with pain to say, actually, no medication works for me and I live really well, because yeah. I get absolutely slaughtered, because oh. they say, it's really funny how people can assume that because I'm living well, that my pain is obviously not as painful as theirs, oh. and then, in the same breath, they say, and other people think that my pain is obviously less than theirs, and how do they know? Well, you know, pot called kettle black, yeah, actually, my so- pain's my pain, and it gets in the way, but I've found ways around it. And no, there mm-hmm. isn't a drug that works. I wish there was,
0: mm-hmm.
1: but I don't know that I want to try the the side effects. Mm-hmm. I probably will because I've tried everything. Everything that's been offered. <laughs>
0: Curiosities, is, yeah, well, I, yeah.
1: But I, I yeah. just feel like you know, in the in the end, I, I would like people with pain to also remember that other people with pain have their own experience
0: yes and what
1: works for them might not necessarily work for you and vice versa and it doesn't mean that that because somebody's coping well it doesn't mean that you've got less pain oh it's it's, a different way of living
0: yeah and this is a slightly different context we had just other day someone emailed or dm'd me on instagram and they were like how did you get into remission or how long have you been in remission i'm like oh i'm not in remission at all like i have you know, I have mild pain most days and sometimes it goes yeah. into moderate and sometimes it goes down to sub mild. It's never gone though, you know? Yeah. And they're like, Oh, I just, and I, I, but in that case, they they weren't trying to minimize my mm. situation. They were just l- literally just assumed that because yeah. I'm kind of out there making videos and dancing and, you know, I mean, of course there's a difference. It, obviously if I was in the most severe pain I could possibly imagine, I wouldn't probably be able to dance, but, um, but just, it's really hard to, yeah, you just don't know looking at someone, whether they're, yeah. and yeah. Uh, we all tend
1: to, you can't tell whether mm. I'm having a good day or a bad day, yeah. really, because yeah. it's internal. And I can put on a brave face, as most of us learn how to do. And sometimes yeah. we do that. And sometimes it's important to do that.
0: Mm-hmm. Other
1: times it's not. And yeah. we want that. It's the serenity prayer. You yeah. Know, Give me the wisdom to know what I can change, the wisdom to know what I can't change, and the wisdom to know which one is right in front of me right now.
0: Oh, that's the hardest. I just made this funny TikTok video about, like, it's, again, that expectation versus reality where, you know, you have the higher the expectation, the less likely reality is to meet that, right? So, yeah, yeah, I think it's when you first get diagnosed with something, you're like, okay, well. My, my coping strategy is to, is to be a problem solver, and I'm going to go figure out what the solutions are, and I'm going to do them. And then the doctors are like, there's medicine to try. And you're like, great. Okay. You know, yeah. point A to B relationship. Try Get diagnosis, try medicine, feel better. And yeah. then you realize it's actually like this super long iterative, you know, process. Oh,
1: yeah. That, yeah. And, finding little ways to really find stuff. Yeah.
0: But it's funny that, yeah, you mentioned the thing of c- the comparison trap because I, I just mm-hmm. saw someone else mention that on social media too. So there are mm-hmm. people who try to get that message out, that you know, don't compare even within groups. And actually speaking of autism again, because that was just where my heart was for a long uh, while in the OT world is there's a lot of parents that, that fall into that too. Well, my kid, you don't understand because your kid only has mild autism. Yeah. Or, you know, it's the same with o- or, or RA. Well, your RA is only moderate. It's like we're all – Having our own experience, and you know, it's all valid. So, if you want people to find you, to follow oh, your blog, maybe, or is there anywhere you would want me to direct people to? Yeah, so it, um, health skills
1: blog, which is dubdubdub.healthskills.co.nz. Yes. Um, it's just a WordPress blog, but that's where I've been writing for that's a long great. time. Great,
0: she has um, some amazing stuff on there about pain and. Yeah, yes. OT and other disciplines. It's just wonderful.
1: Um, and I'm on I'm on social. I'm on Facebook under Health Skills as well, and I post cross post into the air. Uh, um, I'm a little bit on Twitter, not very much.
0: That's um, right. Yeah, just
1: a wee bit under Ademis Free, which is. Um, I wonder. I'm going to change that name. Oh, <laughs> so okay. Yeah. Um, that was way back in the day when it was thought better to, to separate my professional oh, stuff yeah from but I've decided actually I'm me and That's... you can take me as me or not so um but if okay. you follow me on Instagram it's Bronnie Lennox Thompson and there's not very much pain stuff on there there's an awful lot of um silversmithing and places that we've gone and beer yeah
0: <laughs> Hey, full person, holistic view of who you are. And also I'll post for the – because I know that in the Exploring Pain Research and Meaning group is really active patients and providers. And then the um, OT, activating OTs for ACT and OT. And I'm really hoping there's going to be more OTs who learn about ACT because it's just – It's such a fabulous
1: way of working.
0: It's really affects. I mean, for me again, I learned it in the context of anxiety and and panic attacks with claustrophobia and it's ended up becoming so relevant to chronic illness and it's relevant to any challenge, any challenge, really like not just challenge and and you don't
1: have to have a diagnosis. Yeah. You can have a situation like COVID and lockdown to respond to it. And that's fine. Well, even little things like, you know, Just living, just everyday living. Because there are days when you feel cranky and you don't want to do something and you need to just stop for a moment and think, what, you know, what's my value? Yeah. How do I want to be in this situation? To be a better person, to be a better, to be a person that I want to be.
0: Right, right. Well, that's awesome. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode. Don't forget to check out my latest courses and resources on MyArthritisLife.net. This podcast is brought to you by the Beginner's Guide to Life with Rheumatoid Arthritis, a four-week online education and support program that I created from scratch to help people with inflammatory arthritis learn everything they need to know to navigate the social, emotional, physical, and logistical challenges of rheumatoid arthritis and related diseases. The next group is going to start in August, 2020. Learn more at myarthritislife.net or bit.ly slash arthritis course, all in lowercase. You can also connect with me on my social media accounts on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and even TikTok. Check out the links in the show notes. Thank you so much for listening to another episode of the Arthritis Life Podcast. just shoot me an email at info at my I can't wait to hear from you.